This is older than half of your mothers, so. Listening to Ink Studs on CITR 101.9 FM. My guest this week is Genevieve Castri. Um, her latest book is Susceptible from Drawn and Quarterly, as well as other work can be found in Kramer's Ergot, Drawn and Quarterly Showcase, and um, trying the name of this one, a bunch of early recordings, including Les Frappe, um, and music under. Now, I totally have no idea how to pronounce your music name. So, oh, oh, yeah. Okay, here here are some here are some pointers. Um, there is well the book was Le Frappé and then there's Roulatec, Roulatec Nicolas and the name of the publisher and Pamplemousse and the name of the publisher was Loi Cravant in Montreal. And then um, my band is Opin. Okay. Yeah. What does Opin mean? It's like um, O as in the letter O as in when you're writing an ode to somebody. Peacock. Okay. So yeah. Lovely. Nothing fancy. Um, thanks for joining me today. I very yeah. much appreciate it. It's interesting. You're not very far from uh, Vancouver, but our paths have never crossed. Um, so one day we'll cross probably. Um, you're in Anacortes, Washington? Yeah, Anacortes, Washington, yes. It's a sleepy little town? Yeah. Yeah. Did you? I I can't remember if you actually made it here. I um, I did not. No, we got okay. to to the 
restaurant you suggested, and then we were done there by like five o'clock, and we had to hoof it back to the city to Vancouver. Right. So it's only about I guess you're about an hour and a half, two hours away from Vancouver. Right. Drive. Yeah. Fairly close. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It seems like I was looking at your blog of um, your event, the uh, Anacord is Unknown, and it seems like kind of like an idyllic place to be. Is that a good assumption? Yeah, it is. I mean, in the summertime, in the summertime, Anacordis is very much a type of place where a lot of people are like, oh man, I want to go back there. But in the wintertime, it gets kind of bleak. Um, it's sort of a retirement community or I guess people call it a bedroom com community too. Um, it, it's the type of place where there's not, you know, we don't have a college or anything to keep young people interested in living here for extended periods of time. And so uh, it just, it, it just, I mean, there's not even really work for normal people. So it's very much retirees are drawn to this place nowadays anyways. It didn't used to be that way. I was noticing um, when we were driving around, not that there, but just outside of there, it seemed like it was kind of a mix between retirees and then like young people that want to start their own farm Right, that's a little bit, actually, yeah, I mean, that's a little bit, that's kind of, if you go north towards Bellingham, there's more, there's more of that, but Anacortes is, it's strange, it's this weird place where, it, it, yeah, I mean, it, the, the youth thing, like, they're like, hit young people who want to grow their own vegetables, I, I fucking wish we had that here, like, <laughs> we don't really, it, it's like the farms are, yeah, the farms are north of here, and um, it's, yeah, it, unfortunately, I think it's just kind of too expensive around here, it's, um, it's surprising how, you know, a beautiful place is always expensive, but like, when there's no jobs, like, there's all these empty houses in Anacortes that uh, have no renters, Yet there's like families that are homeless, and my friends had to move out of town because they couldn't afford to, they couldn't get a job, and they couldn't afford to get a decent place to live here. So it's a little bit sad. It's crazy. I've seen that before in small towns where um, you see these like exorbitant rents, and it's like I can't understand how that's sustainable with, I don't know. I it's totally, it's the, it's the, this area, it's like, you know, I used to live in Victoria, and Vancouver Island is all that, like, mm -hmm. Tofino, for instance, it's just like, I mean, I, I like the idea of mentioning Tofino, because, I mean, you're in Vancouver, but I guess the rest of the world might not know where Tofino is, <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's just like, this idea, I had these friends who worked the tourism industry in Tofino and lived in tents, Yeah. because they couldn't afford to rent a place, like, all all of the places are just like, well, we, we have this choice. Either we rent our house out to four people for $1,000 a month, or we rent the house out for $1,000 a day, three times a year. Yeah. <laughs> I can believe that. I knew folks that would live in Whistler, and it would be yeah. the same. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah. I could imagine that that would be the case. But we're not talking about your comics here. We're talking about everything else. <laughs> I know. Else, but... <laughs> I'm just talking about real estate. <laughs> Um, I was I read the comics I had of yours. Um, okay. I know I had more somewhere, but unfortunately, your early work doesn't have any writing on the spines, and so it gets inhaled into my uh -huh. bookshelves. Um, 
but when I read um, the Le Frappe, did I get it right this time? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I kind of started with that and then read all your work between that and Susceptible. I kind of felt like that was the one, those two really had a strong connection between them among all your work that I had read. That one makes a lot of sense to me, yeah. Um, that's cool. That's cool that you you got you got that. I mean, you got uh, you're cool for picking <laughs> up on it. <laughs> um, is the, I guess that kind of brings me with susceptible. Is this a story you've been kind of working through in your head for a long time and kind of trying to figure out how to tell it? Yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah, yeah, totally. I, it's like it's just. Well, I, I, I guess we can call it a story, but I mean, there's many ways to see it. Like it's, it's my story. So it's just this thing that's just been this weird soup that's been like sloshing around inside of me for a long time, trying to figure out a way to. It's it's this weird exor exorcism in in a weird way, but I. I, you know, if I had done it like 10 or 12 years ago, it probably would have been very, very embarrassing and um, ill-prepared. But this this time around, I think that maybe I have like gotten enough of the skills necessary to turn it into a book that's actually like passable life for, I mean, that would be acceptable for some people to read as a book because um, around the time that I did that other book, Les Frappes, actually, probably I would have wanted to make a story that was more, like, susceptible. I just didn't have the perspective or the distance or, you know, the... So I just made a book that just seemed to be about this girl that wears striped sweaters all the time, and, ah, she's all messed up. <laughs> um, maybe give listeners a context of what uh, Susceptible covers. Like, it's about yourself. It's... Um, about part of your childhood. Um. Yeah. It's about, um, it's based on childhood memories from the age of, I guess I would say about 2 to 18 years old, because 0 to 2, that's pretty abstract. But, um, And I just was trying to draw things that I saw with my own eyes. I mean, there's like a couple ex exceptions in the book that are things that I draw that like are things I imagine. But... Uh, otherwise, it's really very much the things that, like, as I saw it hap unfolding. But um, then I changed all the names because that's kind of the danger of autobiography is that I, I always, always, always say this, but it's like true, 100% true, pure autobiography is impossible to achieve. And so I, I just felt like out of fairness and, um, I yeah, I had to change the names give people new names because they become characters no matter how hard I try to just become the characters of my version of the facts. And the names yeah, were really ahead. interesting. Um, for the name of your mother, it was Amer, mm -hmm. and then the stepfather or type Boyfriend, of stepfather. Yeah, yeah the, the, the fellow. Um, it was Aman, and I'm curious about the, the those particular choices of names. Well, in French, those names, uh, amer means bitter, and so I just had this female version of the adjective bitter for the mother's, the mother character's name, and then 
the male version of the word bitter for the male character. Um, I mean, sorry, the stepdad character. I was um, also thinking about how a mare is also sounds like mare. That's true. Yeah, I mean, that's a little. It, it would. It would. It kind of. I knew that there was a. I mean, I fully was aware of that, but like, it's a kind of cheesy. It's kind <laughs> of cheesy as a connection. It just is like. I, and then yeah, it, it 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 was like. I just wanted something that also sounded like it could actually be a person's name, mm -hmm. because that's something that happens often, especially if you translate the book in another language. There's, I mean, I wrote the book in French initially, but then it got translated. I translated it in English, and now it's being translated in German. But um, the, I wanted a, something, a word that kind of, it would seem plausible that it could be a person's name in a strange other universe, you know, especially now that people are naming their kids like Apple and... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, sometimes I like putting things in my work that I'm like, what if somebody actually was like, oh, man, what a beautiful name, and then they just named their daughter that. <laughs> <laughs> Little bitter. Uh, <laughs> I like that. I was wondering about what language you originally wrote the story in, um, because, I mean, the, the names work really nicely in that kind of pun way, um, with the father being, what was it, uh, to the... Ted Yeah. Yeah. Um, egghead. Yeah. And I was, um, it's interesting when you do translated work of like, what parts do you maintain in a certain language and what parts don't you? Um, and so for you, it's mainly the names that you chose to, to keep. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I feel really lucky actually that Drawn and Quarterly let me keep the names as is because um, I mean, it was something, you know, like there when we were just when they were just correcting. Because I, I really, I mean, I as I think my English is pretty good, but um, I, I really wanted to have somebody like double check, especially with like syntax and uh, punctuation, because that's kind of a struggle for me in English. And having some other person look over. So when they looked over, that was one of the first reactions from one of their employees was, well, these names are sort of unlikely. And also it's really confusing because there's not that much of a difference between the two names. But I feel glad that they, you know, let me go ahead with it. Because it would have not been as cool if I had called them, like, bitter and unhappy or, yeah. <laughs> or something like that. Like. Bitter I he wanted and something. Bitter she. Yeah, exactly. Well, also I wanted something because that's the thing is is in I wrote the book in French and like Quebec is not France and it's not Belgium. You know, Quebec is especially as Canadians, English speaking Canadians know that Quebec is this weird place. Um, mm -hmm. In the United States, like already, like not everybody knows that Quebec is this weird place that's different that is in North America but is not like an American state, and. Um, so I, I wanted to have, a, like in, in the French version of the book, it was it's clear when you read it, there are nuances that are just like for a French person from France would read it and they'd be like, oh, how colorful, this person is from Quebec. So I wanted to have something in the English version of the book, in the names and everything, that would just be like, oh, I am not reading this thing about a kid who grew up in Indiana, you know, like it's, it's, this, it's a different place. It's, that, that 
it mattered to me to have that be obvious in the book. There was something on the back I was really curious about. It's called a, a trans-Canadian exploration. Um, uh-huh. And, and I've never actually, being Mr. Super Canadian, I've never heard that kind of term, trans-Canadian. Uh, and I'm curious of where that comes from. Oh, yeah, that's that's funny, actually, because um, I, you know, I didn't write that blurb, but back that's the funny thing about those blurbs is that it, they're in your handwriting, but, like, you're just transcribing something that <laughs> the publisher wrote for you. And and so I wrote I wrote it down and I just was like, Oh, all right, trans Canadian. I mean, that's cool. And then and then um with Drawn and Quarterly we were discussing actually changing the text at the back of the book and I just was like, wait, 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 I actually really like trans Canadian because that's what I am. I mean I feel that I am a trans Canadian because uh, you know, I moved out of Quebec when I was seventeen and then I went and lived in British Columbia, and then it never really occurred to me until I was about 18 that I wasn't fully from Quebec. Like, I, I was in Victoria walking down the street, and there was this couple that were from Quebec talking to each other in French, and I just kind of went over to them, and we chatted, and then the, the guy and the couple looked at me and was like, so you're not really from Quebec, are you? And I was like, yeah, I am. I grew up there my whole life. And he just was like well, where's your dad from? And that, like, for the first time in my life, I realized that, whoa, like, I am not 100% Québécois. Like, I am half. Holy crap. <laughs> so, yeah, trans-Canadian. That's, that's such a that's weird concept of, like, that's where you're from, that's where you grew up, and, spent, yeah. you know, the majority of your life there, but because your father was not Québécois at all, it's you have that weird distinction and it's I don't know it's odd to me it's interesting oh it's super odd I mean years ago I remember there was something in um, the Globe and Mail I think it was in the Globe and Mail like one of those big Canadian newspapers um, this lady or maybe it was not in the, I don't know I like some some big Canadian newspaper this lady who she, she's probably a big deal in Canada I don't remember her name though but she had written something about how in, in Quebec like people still often or frequently use the expression pure wool to like describe someone who's like 100% of Quebec heritage and how I mean that would not that wouldn't stick anywhere else in Canada we wouldn't say like are you 100% like like you know like I feel like listening to Canadian radio all the time. They're <laughs> constantly talking about how cosmopolitan and like, uh, what, what's the word that they always use? Ah, uh, this like just the Canadian diversity that like being Canadian is being from wherever and just identifying as a Canadian. And I'm into that, but like in Quebec, it's a little bit different. Like it's it's very important to be, um, to be this person who's like, my mom is from Quebec, my dad is from Quebec, and I mean, I, I don't know, I just, to me, it's like, if I grew up in Quebec, and I was raised in Quebec, and I speak English with an accent, then <laughs> I think that, like, I think that, like, I'm pretty legitimately from that place. I, I would assume, I would assume. Yes, yes. Um, w one of the things I was wondering about the book is... What do you use for the viewpoint as you're telling your story? Are you trying to look at it um, through the eyes of how old you would have been at that time? Because um, it yeah. doesn't seem necessarily reflective as much as kind of experiential. 
Yeah, I mean, it's sort of, I'm, I'm sort of re-experiencing everything, like, just, like, almost, like, putting myself back in the place and back in the time when it happened, and, and then, like, I'm walking into the kitchen, and then I see this person who I really love. She is uh, doing drugs, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so everything's in the present tense, because, I don't know, there's something about I felt like talking in the present tense was, um, yeah, it was it was talking more about the experience rather than like rehashing something. So I I didn't want it to be too much like. And then she did this, and then she did that, and then he said that to me, and then I was sad. I I wanted to have it very much just be like. There's this when you're a child. There's these things that happen before your eyes that you don't necessarily comprehend fully until later on. Like, you look back on these strange memories. Like, no matter what your memories are, like, it could be going to the amusement park with your friends or something, and then you saw something, and you're not too sure, and then you're, you get older, and you're like, oh, my God, that homeless person was shooting up or something, you know? Like, you only realize these things later on. But, um, I don't know. It, it seems I like using the present tense, basically. Is that what your question was? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, well, it's it's like one of the things I remember. I hope I'm not like spoiling the book for folks, but you'll you'll make reference like this is the last time, blah blah. blah. But it wasn't. Um, but it's it. You feel this interesting finality that you're you're going through at different points in time, where it's just like things seem just like kind of stuck in a way. I don't even know mm -hmm. if stuck is the right word, but it's just like, it seems like it's, they're difficult points for you to get through in this book. Yeah, I mean, there were not the funnest things to talk about, that's for sure. And, um, but I also feel like, um, I, yeah, I guess finality, I mean, I, maybe the finality is something that I've come to, um, understand and appreciate more now that I'm finished working on the book. Like, there's a lot of things about the book that I didn't really, you know, I just made this book, and then all of a sudden, it came out, like, six months or longer than that, after, after I finished it, and, and then people talked to me about it, and then all of a sudden, like, there's, that's that thing when you've completed some sort of work, is to look at it through somebody else's eyes, and then to, um, understand all these things about this this project you just worked on like uh, there's all this stuff that I wasn't aware of that I became aware of later on so I guess finality is something that I wasn't aware of when I was working on the book but now I am because people have talked to me about it a couple of times um, you've done a lot of really gorgeous color work and I'm really curious about the choice to do this in black and white <laughs> This is funny. I just was talking about my about this with my friend uh, a couple of days ago. Um, I I love black and white so much, and so I mean, I guess that um, we it did occur to me that if I made my book in color, it would be more expensive. Also, I I I'm kind of uh, hard ass about printing things on the continent as much as possible, and so I, I really didn't want my book to be printed in Asia, and that's kind of a, 
I think that's a big turn off for a lot of publishers, <laughs> probably. <laughs> just like, just like, I mean, I don't think that that's in the author's hands, really. Like, it's just like, you should just be grateful that the person's publishing you in the first place. But um, I, I kind of, I'm, um, I'm like, I don't know, maybe it's my punk heritage or whatever. I just, I'm feeling really sensitive about just the how crazy, um, like, the direction we're headed, you know, um, with, like, factories burning down in Bangladesh so we can have fresh clothes. And But I, I so anyways, I, I mean, I'm not saying that, like, printing in Singapore is the equivalent of getting clothes made in Bangladesh at all. I have, you know, I, I don't actually know how, what their working um, laws are like over there. But I just felt like it should be kept close home and uh, and so that was one of the things was just like talking to John and Quarterly about publishing the book I was just like well if if we do it in black and white maybe we can print it in Canada and um, and so that just kind of was there at the very beginning but generally the overwhelming like, overwhelmingly the reason why is because I love grays and blacks and you know really good blacks and really using a lot of white, but then with all these different shades of gray, it's, it's, it's exciting, and um, it speaks to me a lot because a lot of the comics that I grew up with were in black and white, and, uh, you know, I read comics, uh, when I discovered underground comics in the 90s, everything was in black and white, like, that color thing, I just feel like the book as an object is just becoming popular to the point where, like, <laughs> every asshole on the block has a, a book that's in color and sometimes it's like it's the, the most magnificent object where like the artist is amazing but then once in a while like you look at the packaging and then you look inside the book and you're like whoa I, is this worth $35 is this work worth being printed in color so I don't know does that sound mean <laughs> well, I, I gotta say, I've had discussions about the printing overseas mm -hmm. with folks because I myself have certain challenges with it because I kind of believe in living wage models. Uh -huh. um, I don't know if you know what I mean by that, but like folks being paid a proper amount to live off of. Right. And, and the re reason we're able to get really cheap books printed in Malaysia, in Singapore, in Hong Kong, it's just not getting paid a lot. Uh -huh. And it's not costing a lot to me because you don't have to pay people very much. Yeah. Um, and so it's like, we kind of, as consumers and as production, we make this choice of where we want to go to get our product. Um, and I think if we make a choice to support something that you know the folks are being paid fairly, to me, that... that is just as much a part of the process as so many other components. I don't know. It's yeah, I mean, it's funny. It's funny too because, well, there's that. But then, like, you know, the whole time that you're telling me about this, I can't help but wanting to make a joke about how much money cartoonists make. Yeah. Like, <laughs> just like, oh yeah, I worked on this thing for two and a half years and I got paid two thousand dollars. Like, just like, it, it's just a. Uh, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I also just believe in, um, I, I totally completely agree with you, and I, I'm, I, I also, com I also totally believe in 
how about we just make the type of culture that we believe in? Like, I, I mean, I, I like doing things on a smaller scale mm -hmm. because that's actually a lot easier to keep, um, to get, to keep, you know, to keep control of. And, and so that's, that's another thing is, like, to be published by somebody like John and Quarterly is a big step. Like, you know, John and Quarterly is not, um, it's not Rupert Murdoch, but it's it's like a bigger for me it's like a bigger step than like just just the type of book tour i had with working with them like they have a lot of people that know what they're doing and that's yeah. when you work with a smaller publisher you maybe have like one person who knows what they're doing <laughs> but um so it, 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 there's there's got to be i mean they know what they're doing and in and, and there there's more money circulating and there's more of a um you know, there's more of a reason to justify doing getting a book printed halfway across the world. But to me, also from a, like an environmental perspective, it's a little intense to know that like, oh, our book is going to travel all the way from China to here, and still, even if you're paying for all that shipping, it's still cheaper than like substantially cheaper than if you had done it here, like in like Manitoba or something. I've heard that folks that it's cheaper for them to get it printed there, things printed there, and fly there to check on the printing right? than to do domestically in situations. So yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it does seem then like kind of local culture is important to you because I'm just thinking of like the fest, the music festival you do, the Anacord yeah. is unknown. Um, and then you're also on smaller record labels. I think you have something up. Do you have something on K Records? Yeah, I do. I have a couple things. I have a seven inch and then a they put out a book record of mine in two thousand seven. It's actually like this everybody should buy that if they like my work because it just it's just sitting on shelves. And yeah, it's it's a war based book, but I need to plug it because I think that people don't know that it exists. What's it called? <laughs> it's called Tout Seul dans la Soirée en plein jour, but you can just call it tout seul, which means all alone, basically. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's like all uh, all the songs and the drawings are based on war, just the idea of war, like different types of war. But like I said, it was done in 2000. It came out in 2007, and so it's a 60 pages book with an LP. I'm pretty sure Lucky's has one in Vancouver. Oh, for thanks for Vancouver folks listening. Yeah, that's great. Good. Um, down. How long have you been doing the music festival? Um, well, I moved to Anacortes, or I mean the first time I came to visit Anacortes, I was playing at the second edition of a festival that was called What the Heck. And uh, so that, that year I wasn't involved, but then the third year I was involved in organizing it. And so the festival lasted a total of 10 years. And then um, the Anacortes Unknown Music Series, that's been happening last summer. And then I made it, one happened this spring that I curated, and then we're having another one this summer in July. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's like, for me already now, so far, it's 10 years of my life. Um, I just I I never really think about it very much, and then the other day, other day this young artist I know that lives in Anacortes, I was reading her um, CV and she describes herself as a community organizer, and I was like, oh man, 
she's got her shit together. I wish I was a community organizer. <laughs> and I was like, holy fuck, I am. So, yeah, it's, I just never really thought of myself that way. So now I'm, like, bringing it up because I kind of get tired of talking about my book. <laughs> <laughs> I just try to talk about other things that I do. Well, um, they seem, yeah. it seems like your music and your art, they kind of, or your music is your art, your music and your comics, um, it's kind of a balance for you? Uh-huh. Yes, definitely, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, like... Do they have, like, comics, a connectedness? Yeah, yeah, I mean, they come from the same person. I, I like to think, I like, I mean, the thing, I, I get kind of wary of, because people sometimes are like, oh, yeah, they're like, a, they complement each other, and I'm like, yeah, they kind of do, but I get wary sometimes because, Maybe it's because, like, I'm in my 30s now and I want people to take me seriously or something or I'm having some sort of existential crisis, but um, not to toot my own, my own horn, but I, I just get to this point of being like, I am a cartoonist. Why? Because I'm published and because I, I think that my stuff is all right. And then I also see myself as a musician because... I mean, I don't like putting labels on myself, but I'm like, I guess I, I should say that I'm a musician because, I mean, I, I, I just don't want people to be like, oh, she's a singing cartoonist or she's a cartoonist who plays music on the side because I'm like, well, my music is like, I take my music pretty seriously and like, it's better than other music out there. So I guess other, if the people whose music is not that great consider themselves musician, I think that I could, <laughs> I'm allowed <laughs> I'm allowed to get that little notch in my belt or something. <laughs> um, yeah, so I I get I just get it's, it's just funny to I just talk about all the things that I do all at once. So yeah, that's well, that's that's what I got the idea from like looking at your site and then like looking at listening to some of your music, looking at your work. Like I don't really see you kind of in one little section. Um, and it's and it's interesting, like it makes you think of like a more full-bodied artist of like there are different ways to express what you're doing and sometimes yeah like cartoonist is kind of limiting uh-huh yeah i mean the thing here's the thing about comics versus i mean i i i have a lot of music in my life again all of a sudden um and the thing is like when i'm in like a situation of panic or something comics will always be the what feels most natural for me to do like I just I it, it kind of is a is I think it might be sort of a rare thing but I just have known from a really young age that that's what I wanted to do for a living and so I have you know like a lot of people are fighting for comics to be recognized as uh, a legitimate art form and like to me that's really funny because I'm just like whatever just draw comics like <laughs> fine and so I really like draw like I really like doing this and I don't feel like I have to prove to any fancy pants gallery people that it's a worthy activity but um, in, in, in terms of music it, it, it helps a lot because it's very lonely to draw comics it, and it's like I mean especially if you draw like the, the, the type of drawings that I do are very selfish because you know, you zone out for so many a million hours just, you know, spending a lot more time than necessary, basically, on some pages. And um, I appreciate music because it 
<laughs> it gives me an outlet and it gives me this like it gives me the opportunity to go out like comics are I, I think of music as being so social like mm -hmm. lots of people will meet their the love of their life or like have one night stand going to a music concert but like you're not going to have that if you're reading comics at your house <laughs> 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 it's true. I mean, it's comics. I mean, there's these weird. I've been talking about how there's these weird social comics that are becoming really popular. Like you know, comics that it, 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 it's exciting. It's really beautiful to look at. But I often see when I see like crazy, insane, like Le Dernier Cri style zines, I'm like, oh yeah, you could you could read those and look at those at your house and still have time to go out and party. But if you're gonna read like I don't know, like uh, Big questions, or um, Lilith's last book. Uh, like, if you if you're gonna read those things, those books, in order to sit down and read that brick, like that's a lot of nights that you're not going out with your friends. <laughs> <laughs> I almost feel like if you're uh, reading a lot of Lindenier Cree books, you gotta party pretty hard. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I mean, like, I I in all honesty, like, I think it's beautiful. It's exciting. It looks awesome to make this stuff, but like, it doesn't speak that much to me. Like, I I was just in Angoulême, and um, everyone was like, "Oh, you gotta go to the zine, like, there's the off festival." Like, people were freaking out about it, and I felt really embarrassed afterwards because I was like, "Well, I went, and like." Maybe all the stuff that was really cool sold out or something because I, by the time I finally made it there, like I didn't necessarily feel that inspired. I I want to read it like, I want to read like a straight up novel with no pictures <laughs> in it. I mean that's the zone I'm in lately. It's, it's, I I love books and I love the fact that you have there's so much content in this like in that you can have so much con content in like this. Um, really small thing like you hold like so much in your hands versus like books that like more and more like these crazy books that is just like a splatter of like this like Iron Maiden Eddie looking guy that's like whose eyeballs are bulging out and oh it's a neon orange <laughs> I think I know what you're talking about <laughs> I, may have I feel like I'm books. saying really weird, mean, <laughs> negative things. Like, what, what's wrong with me? You're, you're giving us uh, Canadians uh, a bad reputation. We're supposed to be the nicest people. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I'm, well, I've been living in the United States for a while now, so okay. maybe that's, that's the thing. Like, I just, I've got, like, this superiority complex. I'm, I'm curious about the kind of, like, the time, like when you started really making comics with um like the the Le Frappe, um because you mentioned uh being in Victoria and knowing some of the Vancouver scene, that kind of art comic y yeah. scene. Um and was that a really was that like a developer period for kind of finding your voice in comics, even though like you wanted to do comics for a long time? Yeah, well, before I did Les Frappe, so Les Frappe was my first book published by somebody else that wasn't me, like from a, my publisher. And I was kind of, I was really young still. I was like a baby. I mean, not a baby, but I was a teenage cartoonist. And um, and before that, I did some mini comics and some, you know, I experimented. And um, so, I, I mean, I didn't put that in susceptible. I didn't mention anything about my... Like, I started, when I was about 15, I started to do comics with um, 
like I would be an anthology, like, you know, zine-like anthologies, like the ones that have, like, all photocopied pages and, like, uh, some ad for a tavern at the back of the zine or something. So I, I would do that with other people in the Montreal underground comic scene. And, uh, and I think that I did a lot of trial and error back then. Like, I did some pretty embarrassing stuff, like the types of underground comics where it's just, like, the, you don't really know how to draw women yet. <laughs> I think that's a French thing, but it's just like I don't know if you know what I mean. Like I feel like even even though I was a girl myself, like I feel like I, when I would draw a sexy lady, like she just looked really stupid. And <laughs> and um and so I did a lot of these really dumb, violent comics with like a lot of poop stories, and and then kind of settled down and went into this place of actually feeling fine um, drawing stories that were a little bit more relatable emotionally. And, um, and so Le Frappe was my, my publisher, Benoit, in Montreal. Um, was He and I had talked about it. He had seen a couple of things that I had done that were a little bit, you know, a little bit smarter. And he was like, yeah, I'd love to do a book. And so I... Uh, came up with that story. But now I don't remember what your question was. Sorry. It's okay. Um, Julie Doucet was a really big influence on you at one point. Yeah. Um, yeah. And she's someone whose sure. work you're still very much into. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it's funny because people mention her a lot when they talk about my work. And when I was younger, like, it actually used to come out in ways that were much worse than it is. I mean, now it's fine. Like, people just say, like, Julie Doucet was an influence. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. But, um, yes, she, I cannot lie about it. Like, it was, I mean, the first time I ever saw Julie Doucet's work, I was at a comic shop in Victoria, Legends Comics. You must know that store, right? Gareth Gowden. I know. Yeah. <laughs> He's such a nice guy. Um, I haven't seen him or talked to him in a million years, but... Um, so, yeah, he worked there, but there was this other guy named Grant that owned the store at the time, and my dad and I, like, I didn't know my dad, and then when I was 15, I went and visited him, and we went into Legends, and it, it I had never seen underground comics before, and I just saw this comic, Dirty Plot, and my dad, I remember my dad straight up said, like, if I drew comics, that's what I would draw. And I looked at it, and I was like, holy shit. Because not only was this, like, a comic, this amazing, beautiful comic done by, like, the beauty of the work itself, but then also that it was by a woman, and that, like, right from the name I could tell that she was from Quebec, it just was like, holy fucking shit, what is happening in the world right now? Like, just being... I mean, it blew my mind, because I was like, oh, she, she must be French. And, like, right away I was looking through the comic trying to figure it out, like... This is, a, you know, Doucet sounds very much like a Quebec, Quebec name, and so um, that was pretty mind-blowing, because I think, I, I, I actually feel like at the time, Julie was basically having this double life, or, um, not double life, but like, you know, she was living in Seattle, drawing comics there, having this thing that, like, people in Quebec didn't talk about. Like, she was an artist from Quebec who was quite successful, but it was not a thing that was on the radar. Yeah. And um, and so yeah, it was it was a big influence. But also like through 
that store I discovered like Rene French who also was a big influence and um Debbie Dreschler. Um I you know, I got some hate comics, I got into Chester Brown, I uh I mean Ed the Happy Clown that just that was a huge, huge, huge like mind fuck yeah. <laughs> to read as a teenager. <laughs> know that like that has, was a thing that had been made in the world and also like be a punk teenager who's listening to all these like 80s bands that are refer- referencing Ronald Reagan and like be reading this book about like Ronald Reagan being <laughs> <seeing> a penis <laughs> who like has to go into someone's butthole to like <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh. yeah so uh, yeah so yes she was an, she was an influence what else do you want to talk about? <laughs> well, uh, let's talk about let no. Uh, it was it is a great store. Um, one of the reasons I like to bring up Julie though is also just like to me she just seems like one of the most kind of important um, Canadian cartoonists. And yeah, she's someone I'm still really fascinated by her work, um, the work she's making now. Uh, and you did an art show recently. And of course, is where you had uh, your own work, Julie's work, and some other women. And I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, there was not, I guess, the most cartoony of all the work was probably mine. And then there was this other Canadian artist who, if you don't know her work, you should check it out. Her name is Nadia Moss. And um, she is incredible. Um, she does illustration work and, and, and specifically in that art show she had these paintings made out of dirt. Like I think that maybe she like used stencils or something and then like put on spray on glue on some on on her um, canvases and then sprinkled dirt and so she had these figures that were just you could look, if you looked up close, like from far away, it just looked like spray paint, but then you, you'd look up close and you'd see like dirt and like twigs in there. And, um, and so Julie had some collages and I really love what she's been doing like in the recent few years because so she's got, you know, she's got this super legit, like you said that she's one of the most important Canadian cartoonists in your opinion. Like I think that like there's two things that we don't need to put in front of the word cartoonist when people we talk about Julie. We don't need to put... I mean, I hate the fact that people say, like, woman cartoonist, or, like, I mean, in a way, saying Canadian cartoonist would be the same thing, because, like, it, it, I don't... I don't. I mean, of course, it's nice to have some sense of geography, but, like, I just think she's one of the best cartoonists, like, mm. probably, like, top... I would say probably top three. <laughs> but... but um, but I, I, so she's got this amazing thing where, like, people are like, oh, she was one of the very best at this. But then her art now, I mean, as much as people are mourning not being able to read more comics by her, like, her art now, to me, is so it's fucking a, exciting. It's really amazing. Like, it's, like, really neat use of, like, I can't even, I don't even know to describe it very well. It's, like, this, the collage, and it's a lot of, like, commentary on gender, identity, yeah. and... Like also just the way it's collaged is like this also this like kind of cultural kind of point in time feeling it has. Um, yeah. I, I get really excited by her collage work. Like I think that's really interesting and there's a lot of thought. Yeah, and it's also together. very often it's very hilarious. Like just I mean she has a really good sense of humor. Like um, 
uh, like, you know, she had this thing where she just made up this new country and, like, used some world atlases and then cut up all the pieces and then, like, made a new map of the world or and with, like, her new country that she invented and then putting in rivers and putting in these weird, like, noodle shapes on top and silk screening all of that. And then, like, it's the silk screening itself is incredibly precise. And then she makes up, like, a language. And then she writes a dictionary in that language. And then she writes a personal diary in that language. Wow. And so you have to have the dictionary to read her personal private diary. But then you learn all of these, like, super private details about her. Um, I mean, that in itself is... It's super deep, you know, some real next level shit. <laughs> <laughs> now, the, the, for the show, uh, if I remember, it was specifically was it on space, like the the, kind of the the theme of the show. You mean? Yeah. In Anacortes? Yeah. Um. It was no. Well, it was. Here's the thing. I called everything. I called the festival and the show hours. And the festival itself was sort of paying tribute to the exhibition because the exhibition was up for a month and a half. And it, it sounds so fancy saying it this way, but, I mean, it's Anacortes, and so, you know, like we had maybe 100, 120 people came to the actual festival. And then the gallery had, I don't, they, hopefully they had more than that. But, I mean, it, for in terms of having an event in a town this size, it was very successful. But the, the, the show... Um, I, I called it hours because I was, you know, I started working on this show in September and living in the, I mean, it's, this sounds so, sometimes when I explain myself, I make myself seem so transparent that it's very disappointing. <laughs> but, but so it was in September that I had to start booking this show and there was just this like in the air, there was like, at the time it was just this thing of talking about like all these moron, like Republican dudes saying things about like, about women's rights, like, just, like, you know, like, that was around, it was, like, this pre-election stuff where the craziest stuff was being said about how uh, a woman, in the case of a legitimate rape, a woman's body has a way of shutting that whole thing down. You know, you know there was all oh, these yeah. ridiculous, like, ridiculous quotes. So, Anna Cordes, when we were talking earlier about the scene here, the thing is there's lots of retirees and also overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly Anna Cordes is sort of kind of split two ways. You have, like, the aging hippies, and then on the other side you have, like, the conspiracy theorists, like people who are pretty right-wing and, like, have, um, I mean, just, like, the type of people who, like, will live in, like, in a compound or something. <laughs> um, like, pretty libertarian views. Yeah. But, like... Not in like a Chester Brown way. <laughs> no, it's, um, we get them in on Vancouver Island a lot where my dad lives. Right, yeah, totally. And I mean, I think that it's very, the weather, everything is very similar to Vancouver Island. And so at the time, I just felt like having some sort of statement, having some sort of statement that was mildly political, like to have to use a space here in town, downtown on the main street in Anacortes and have something that said hours, like, it's, it's so faint, like, it's, it, you know, it's really inoffensive, but I did want to have some sort of political, um, 
just like a, just a little political flavor. And so I, I encouraged all the people who were in the show. I mean, the thing that I did is I invited all women artists, but I didn't make a big fuss of it out of it. I didn't want people to be like, oh, it's an art show and it's all women. Like, I wanted it to be like, oh, there's an art show down the street. Oh, check this out. I think they're all ladies. You know, I, yeah. I want it to be more of a... And so I encouraged everyone to give me stuff that they felt... Um, had some type of political meaning to them. And and uh, most of us had some stuff that was a little bit... I mean, it was, it was just... It was very gentle, but it was... It's still... I mean, I thought it was still pretty badass. Um, what did you have for your own work? I just had a couple things. Um, that's the thing about organizing stuff like that. I didn't have as much as I would have wanted to have in the show because I was busy, like, emailing with everybody else. Um, I had, I did the invitation card for the show, and um, it was just a painting of a woman lifting a really heavy rock, and it was, the painting itself was sort of based on this, so, you know, having read Susceptible, like, the painting was based on um, this photo I have of my mom as an 18-year-old, and she was part of this uh, work program for teenagers where you travel ar around Canada, and so she's wearing this, like, checkered, checkered shirt, and her hair is braided, and um, it was like a big-legged woman based on this picture of my mom of, like, basically the idea of, like, my mom as a very strong 18-year-old, and to me that kind of comes full circle because I just did this book where I don't necessarily put her in the best of light, but... Um, uh, but that was, to me, like kind of paying tribute in another way. And um, and then I did this other ink painting of um, this of a person, teenage-looking person that's uh, buried in snow inside um, an above-ground swimming pool. Do you guys have that? Like, is that a thing in the English-speaking world? <laughs> above-ground swimming pools? Do you know what I mean? What, what, you know, like, there's these weird... I mean, there are these super shitty pools that people buy, like... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you mean, like, so just, yeah. Yeah, like, they're round like, and... Yeah. yeah. And they're, instead of being, like, dug into the ground, they're above ground. <laughs> and, um... So, uh, yeah, that's the... It's this image. I'm using it for a record of mine that's coming out soon. I, I, I did the image for the art show, and I wasn't happy with the one that was in the art show, so I'm actually, as we speak right now, I'm redrawing it. Um, and I'm really happy with the new version. Do you, but, have, um, do you have any tours coming up for your music or any shows? I don't have any tours. I'm going on tour, but it's not for me. It's, um, I mean, it is, it, I'm going on tour with some friends. I'm playing bass in a different band with some friends and um, I'm about I leave like the day after tomorrow we're going to Europe for a little over three weeks oh wow yeah and I'm very stressed out <laughs> about it I don't like leaving my house it's really hard it's but I don't have any any music tours for myself it's actually really hard to um, it's it's really hard to choose because I have to make a choice, because right now I'm really excited about making my next book, but I also have, like, I have, like, all this music in me, which feels like all these zits that I have to pop or something, so I I, I don't know how to... Sorry, that's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> it's obvious, though. <laughs> so I have all this music that I'm trying to get out of my system, 
and it, it it's dangerous not to do it. Like it's just I I I'm the type of person who works really slowly, but I have a lot of ideas. Um, so I I've got all these written up ideas to catch up on, um, and I'm just trying to keep it together. <laughs> Um, do you want to talk at all about the next work, or do you f or is it still pretty nucleus as far as just like starting it out? It's not nucleus. It's just that I I'm worried that um, I'm worried that I'm gonna I always get worried that the thing's not gonna get made, or that like I'll look ridiculous because I talked about it too much, and um, and then I work so excruciatingly slow, like that there's always a moment where like everyone's expecting the thing and they know a lot about it and <laughs> the thing is not finished yet so I mean I don't really I, 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 I know that the book will probably be roughly the same length as susceptible and same size that's kind of that's it and also <laughs> I'm getting into Wicca <laughs> which is not funny at all <laughs> but um, that's that's one of my problems. Like I gave this presentation at the Beguiling and talked to Peter afterwards about it because I trust Peter. I really like Peter, and I feel like he he'll tell me. Um, and I asked him about what my book presentation was like, and he was like, "Oh, it was great. It's just that there was these moments where you'd talk about these really serious things, and then you would just like explode into laughter, and then the people in the audience just didn't know if they should laugh." <laughs> It's it's nervousness, I think. Uh, I I've probably done the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of like a coping mechanism of uh, going through something that's tough. Yeah, well, basically the reason why I said that I was getting into Wicca is because I think there will be a link to my probably my my two next books. Um, just exploring this thing that I'm getting curious about. Um, you know, my dad, it, it, it's just barely talked about in, in Susceptible, but my dad, I actually don't know about, him, about now what the state of his pagan beliefs is at the moment, but um, when I did meet him again, he was like a sorcerer, like just like really into um, uh, potions and uh, spells and all kinds of witchcraft-related things, and I, I used to just kind of roll my eyes at him as a teenager because I'm a very non-spiritual person. But there's this thing, I, there's this really intense attraction now. Like I've been on on tour, I've been going into um, uh, Wiccan stores and or just like all these shops where they sell like crystals and minerals and like talking to the people and. I always feel like such a fraud because I I go in there and I'm so scared that like I'm like they can tell that like I, I there's like still a part of me that does I mean that's just like this is bullshit but then there's another part of me that's really really curious about it so that's something that it's it's on the list of things that I want to explore before I make my next book. It's nothing wrong with being a little curious. Yeah, well, Victoria was, it's sort of a capital for, like, it's like the witch capital of Canada. And I didn't even know that when I lived that, there. And Nanaimo. Nanaimo, really? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, yeah, there's a big Satanist, like, they have these weird Satanist festivals there or something. And there's also, yeah, like, we'll a, see. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm not like, I'm not drawn to a Satan connection. Because yeah. so. that's the thing, I'm not spiritual, and I feel like in order to believe in Satan, you have to believe in like the Bible or something. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's just like, like I like, I don't like upside down crosses because in order to like be into upside down crosses, you have to like believe in the power of yeah. right side up crosses. <laughs> Yeah, they just look too much the same. I'm, I'm <laughs> not into that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I kind of feel like we're kind of at the end of our time here. Um, All right. I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Uh, reminder, folks, yes. I've been talking to Genevieve Castre. Um, her book is Susceptible from Drawn and Quarterly, um, as well as the Anacord is Unknown Music Festival, July 19th, 20th, and 21st. Um, I'm hoping to make it down for one of those days. Um, thank you so much for chatting with me. Yes, thanks for having me. I, I hope no one steals my ideas.